Welcome to Influencer Business, where influencers get help with the hard stuff. Think of us as your business Bible. We're a team of influencers and entrepreneurs dedicated to bringing professional resources and infrastructure to our community. I'm Rich Scudelari, CEO of Trove. I'm an entrepreneur focused on helping influencers run and grow their businesses with the resources and information they need. I host this podcast as well as a live webinar called Office Hours, which takes place every Wednesday. Here, I dig deeper into each weekly topic and answer all of your most pressing questions. Our weekly podcast features guests from across the professional landscape, sharing their experiences and advice and answering questions from the Trove community, which you can submit on our website at www.trovebusiness.com. Welcome back to Influencer Business. I'm your host, Rich Scudelari. Today, we're going to be talking all about interviewing, and joining me today is, dun, Mary, dun, dun. <laughs> is Mary Orton. And as you may know, she is my wife, my co-founder at Trove, and also the co-founder, or excuse me, also the founder and the editor-in-chief of Memorandum.com. Thanks for joining. Great to meet you. Hey, thanks. for It's great to meet you. <laughs> it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, sir. So... Today, we're going to talk about everything that has to do with interviewing, kind of all the yes. ins and outs, your perspectives. Um, as a little background, for those of you who don't know, Mary is not only a co-founder of Trove and the founder and editor of Memorandum.com, but she also worked on Wall Street for a long time. The good old days, right? The, the glory days, <laughs> the glory baby. Days. <laughs> so not only does she have the perspective of hiring for a tech startup and-, and It was a, a dark time. <laughs> oh, it wasn't. Her business, but she also has- uh, a lot of experience, uh, you know, hiring at a bank and and being on both sides of the table. So it's going to be a really great conversation. Excited to dig in. Yeah. On both sides of the table, I've made all of the mistakes. <laughs> so I can speak hopefully with some authority about what you absolutely should not do. Um, and hopefully some things that you, you should do as well. Yeah. So excited to chat about all this. Yeah. Well, let's start with kind of at a high level. What? How is this process, the hiring process and the interview process different for an influencer than a normal business? You know, I think there are several key differences. I think the first difference uh, has to do with confidentiality. There are confidentiality issues that you may not face in a normal corporate job that you you do have to really worry about as an influencer. Um, you have to not only trust this person, but also verify through onerous NDAs um, and conversations because the public is naturally more curious about a company, an influencer business, where it it's all about a person versus, you know, you work for HSBC, right. you know? Yeah. Like we talked about a few weeks ago, your personal life and your professional life are really one and the same. So. Absolutely. And, and as an influencer, it, you know, exactly along those lines, there are a lot of moments where you're sharing personal things. You may have to invite these people into your home yeah. uh, mm-hmm. for business purposes or content creation, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, and so there's a confidentiality issue there where you really have to trust someone at a different level, at a more personal level than, than you would otherwise. And I would say it's important not just to trust them, but also um, to, to really have rock solid NDAs in place. Another key thing I think that's important in the hiring process is an influencer. And this is actually less specific to influencers and more applicable to just small businesses of any kind. 
is that in my opinion, you have to hire people with a real willingness to wear many hats and be nimble. Yeah. You know, unlike a large company where you can find someone with a super specific, perhaps very limited skill set to do a super specific limited job, you know, you just, you need people who have a willingness to pitch in, you know, in a small business, a lot of people have to wear many hats and you also just have to be more willing perhaps, uh, to jump in when something unique arises and you need hands on deck. Um, so I think that that's something that I always really look for, whether it's, you know, we're making trove hires or I'm making hires for memorandum that people really have that attitude and that willingness and eager to jump in. Yeah, that that hustle mentality. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree 100%. I think that it's not necessarily that you're hiring someone to do a lot of things, but you're hiring someone who's willing to hop in when there's an emergency, when there's all hands on deck, when somebody gets sick. Uh, and and they're not looking around and saying, well, that's not my job. Yeah, and I've had that happen with hires in the past right. where I hire for a specific role uh, and, you know, something – again, something unique. One day we, we need everybody to pitch in to do something. And they're like, well, you know, I, I wasn't really hired to do administrative work. <laughs> uh, and it's like, dude, I'm the CEO and I'm doing administrative work today. Right. Yeah. So you're doing it too, buddy. You <laughs> know, it's just, it. it's just having that attitude mm-hmm. um, that's important. Yeah, definitely. So given the these kind of changes or the differences between hiring for a normal company and hiring for an influencer business, how does that change your process? So I would say, you know, two things for me that I place a ton of importance on are reference calls Mm -hmm. and NDAs. Mm -hmm. So for reference calls, you can just never skip that step. Yeah. Even if you fall in love with someone on their first interview and you think that they're a great fit, you always, always have to do reference calls. And in my opinion, you always have to do at least two. Personally, I often don't allow the applicant to pick whatever two references they want because obviously you're going to pick two people that you arguably have not even worked with in a serious capacity. It's like, hey, I'm going to just put my buddy at my previous job on there. Um, <laughs> Say a ni- bunch of nice things about me. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, I'll buy uh, drinks around me tonight if you, if, you make, if you do me this solid. Put in, put in a good word. Yeah, so I actually typically require their previous two employers on their resume to be their references. Even if the applicant says, well, you know, I didn't have a great relationship with my previous employer or it didn't end well with my previous employer, whatever it is, I still want to talk to them and I still want to hear that story. I have absolutely hired people whose previous employers did not speak highly of them because I understand that not everyone in every role is a good fit, but seeing how they handle that adversity speaks volumes to their professionalism, to their character, and to their abilities. And then the second huge thing for me is NDAs. And I'm not just talking about having an ironclad NDA clause within an employment contract. Unfortunately, I've seen so many times, you can tell, I mean, a lot of people I've hired, I can tell they just sent the the signed employment contract back to me same day. And I can pretty much guarantee they never read it. So not only having that in the employment contract, but I also have a specific sit down with each employee to verbally discuss and reinforce the importance and the seriousness with which we take confidentiality uh, and NDAs. Yeah, I think that's really important. The other thing I'd mention is that even if you have an NDA in place, you really have to get comfortable with the person honoring it. 
Absolutely. It's not just good enough to have an NDA signed because, yes, technically you can use it as, as a tool to keep somebody from talking about your business and talking about your personal life. But the reality is you have to believe that they're actually going to abide by it. So Yeah, and I think it's so important to make sure that they concretely understand what it means. Mm-hmm. It can be a very amorphous thing in people's minds. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to disclose specific financial information. Right. But when it's not reinforced and specifically discussed, I find that, you know, I've had employees who over drinks with their girlfriends, understandably, again, because this is a company based around a specific person, Mm -hmm. people are naturally very curious, you know, oh, how does this really work behind the scenes? Or what does she really charge for this, that, or the other thing? Or how does she make money on X, Y, Z? You know, those are things that you have to specifically address and say, you will be in situations where people are curious about how this business is run. And I need to know before you're formally hired that you are comfortable with handling those and and never disclosing them, even if you're talking to your best friend. Yeah, um, I think that's a great point because a lot of times people don't even understand really what an NDA or you know non disclosure means. Totally, and so sitting them down and explaining it to them is, is really really quite helpful and un- helping them understand the severity of why and mm-hmm. how to not disclose this stuff is I think really important. Yeah. So when you're looking through resumes and cover letters, like what are you what are you looking for in an applicant? Well, I think there are things, you know, what you're looking for obviously varies widely on the position itself. So you're you're perhaps looking for specific skill sets. For me personally, generally speaking, typos or spelling errors on a resume or cover letter is an absolute non-starter. Yeah. And I understand that not everyone is a perfect speller or is an excellent writer. But if you're not a great speller or a great writer, you need to have self-awareness of that weakness and have someone else proofread it for you. Yeah, You know, having a spelling error or obvious grammatical error just tells me you didn't proofread this. You don't care. You don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And your resume goes out to so many people. At the very least, that should be completely 100% bulletproof. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's no excuses for that. You know, The other thing that I really care about seeing is specific, serious interest in the job. You know, you can tell a mile away whether the cover letter is generic or some sort of form letter. You know, I want to see in a cover letter, why do you want to work for me? Have you researched my company in the industry? Do you have a serious interest in my company in the industry? What can you specifically, uniquely bring to my company? And ideally, you showcase a little personality in the cover letter as well. Yeah, I mean, you can't send a form cover letter to everyone, right? It can't be a copy and paste job. And like I said, you can really typically tell <laughs> can that tell, yeah. right away. It's like, insert company, dear <laughs> dear sir or, my or favorite, madam. Yeah. My favorite are like the, the when they do the control F and they leave an extra space oh, b- yeah, yeah, before yeah. or after. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's, <laughs> um, you know, the other thing that I look at that's very important to me on a resume is that the applicant is not someone who has jumped around to a new job every three or six months. That to me makes the person look quite fickle and I would worry about their commitment to my job, you know, whether it's, is this just a filler job for you until you find the next thing? Or do you have some sort of issue where you perhaps don't get along with people or you change your mind too often, you know? It's so hard as an employer to cull through resumes, go through this onerous uh, hiring process 
and take the time to train someone and then have them quit at the three month mark or whatever it is. Yeah. And so you want to see on their resume that, you know, they've commit, they've really been able to commit to positions in the past. Now, of course, that doesn't mean they've, they have to be at 15 at, year vets. Yeah, it's not like <laughs> 10 year vets at, at their previous positions. But if you're seeing a list of tons of three, six, nine month positions, that's for me, that's a red flag. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that you have to show some level of commitment, especially if you're hiring full time or, or even part time folks, because you're investing so much time and effort to bring them on board, teach them how you do things and letting them into your life, really, especially as an influencer. Absolutely. So if you're looking for a role, how many first round interviews are you trying to get done? How many, uh, you know, how many people are you trying to talk to in that first round? There's really no perfect number of resumes you should read or specific number of interviews you should do. And I don't think you should approach it with that, with a specific number in mind. You know, I have hired for roles and interviewed, you know, just a small handful of people. I've hired for roles where we had to interview 30 plus people before we found the right fit. It's really, you know, it's really about the quality of the applicants and the role. Sometimes the role is so nuanced that there aren't dozens of people that that you find. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely right. No, I completely agree with that. But so once you, once you kind of have a pool of candidates, how do you go about prepping for the interviews? Again, it varies depending on the role, but you know, there are a lot of questions that I ask everyone you know, background questions, character questions, general professional questions. I would say, you know, a question like, walk me through your resume is very important to me because so many people lie or grossly <laughs> overstate things on their resume. So oh, yeah. asking them questions about the positions and skills that they claim to have had in the past is critically important. Um, you know, I have a friend a couple of years ago who hired for a creative role at their company and the person they hired listed Adobe Creative Suite as one of their primary skills. And they found out on her first day in the job, she didn't even know what Adobe Creative Suite was. She, <laughs> oh, she had geez. read it on a sample resume somewhere as something good to have as listed <laughs> skills. And she couldn't even hope in Photoshop. I mean, so yeah, so I think digging into to their background and really understanding their experience is important because it's also difficult, not even necessarily saying that everybody lies about their resume, but there's only so much you can do in bullet points on a resume. Yeah in terms of describing the real role that you were filling. Yeah, what you were actually doing. Totally. I also make sure I have a hit list of questions essential to the specific role that I'm hiring for. Yeah. If it's a social media coordinator, I really want to dig into their experience in social media, their perspective on this. Have you ever used st- Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Prove to me that you can open Instagram. Um, you know, what is their experience in social media? What is their perspective on the space? What are their specific social media strategies, et cetera? Yeah. One of my favorite things to do is to dig in on specific projects or specific accounts that they list. If you're hiring for you know a, a role where somebody has said, hey, I've worked on this project or this account or I've done this investment, whatever it is, and really dig in to see if they can actually give you the details of what they did specifically as opposed to just generically. The other thing that this does is when you do those reference calls, it allows you to cross-reference the information they give you versus the information that the reference gives you. That's such a good point. And that's something that I am always super careful about. Mm -hmm. 
most cases, I don't even do it as a leading question. I don't even say, Samantha claims to have done these projects. It's with the referent, you know, describe their role to me. What were their primary responsibilities and cross-referencing that way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's an incredible way to do it because unfortunately, the interview process is largely about eliminating candidates who don't fit. And then you're left with a group of folks who do fit. And then it's about finding the right candidate. And that's a really easy way to do it. See what is valid and, and what is not. So... Is there any difference in the interview process when you're looking for an intern versus a full-time versus a contractor? Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to an intern, there are certainly lower expectations as far as experience goes, but the job specs are also going to be lower for someone like an intern. You know, I'm always less looking for specific skills and experience and more looking for someone who is just smart and hungry. Yeah. If you have that hustle and someone who's got the analytical skill set and self awareness mm-hmm. to step up and dive right. into different projects. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just being a hustler. For a contractor, one thing that's always really important to me is to dig into what their other commitments are and how their time management skills mm, yeah. are. If they're juggling you and other clients or employers, you want to solidify that you can rely on them and that you or your business won't receive less attention or perhaps the quality of their work won't suffer because they have other competing demands. Yeah, I think that's incredibly important. And one of the ways you can verify that is just through their communication, the speed at which they communicate throughout the interview process, how they respond, the tone of their response. If they're always late on emails, they're not getting back to you in a timely manner, you can guarantee that once they've landed you as a client, you know, they're not going to put forth a better effort because they've already got you in the door. One of the things I think about from a contractor's perspective is if they're coming in as a contractor, I kind of expect a lot more on the skill side and maybe a little bit less on the personality side because in a sense, they're somewhat of a mercenary. You know, they're coming in to do some work and they leave. And so if they're a little more prickly, that's okay. But for a full-time employee, that, that just won't fly. I don't know, man. I've got low tolerance for prickly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and of course it depends on the person. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're also talking about a sliding scale. You're right. When it comes to contractors, they're coming in for specific roles. Their time is more limited. Your time to work with them and interface with them and train them is probably more limited. So the skill set really has to be a great fit. You're not going to invest a lot of time in trying to train a contractor. You know, if you're trying to hire a web developer, they better know what they're doing. Sure. So how do you, how do you know? How do you know when you found the right person for the role? You never really know. You never really know. (laughs) That's scary. (laughs) (laughs) You never really know. I would say you just have to do the best you can and you have to make sure you've thoroughly gone through the hiring process. I have seen time and time again, I have made this mistake, but I've seen it time and time again with people who need help, you know, do an initial interview, fall in love with someone personally and just say, oh man, like we really connected. Screw the rest of the process. You're hired. And like I said, I've done this in the past and you're so desperate for the help. You're so excited about meeting someone that you connect with. When you get sloppy or lazy about making those reference calls, about doing those work tests or second round interviews after you've done the reference calls, that's when you can hire someone prematurely who is really not a good fit. Mm -hmm. And there are so many people who are great personality fits 
whose work styles or skill set or mm-hmm. professionalism or trustworthiness, you really just can't tell yeah. after meeting with them once. Mm-hmm. So I'm a very, very big proponent of the common phrase, hire slow. Yeah. Fire, fire fast. fast. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. It's almost like you have to build your process, trust the process and get through it and believe that all of the different hurdles you've put in the way, all of the different litmus tests, all the different funnels that you've created will allow you to end up with a what will be a smaller pool of very high quality people. Uh, and there are no shortcuts. And if you do have shortcuts, you end up hiring people who aren't really going to be a good fit. And I also find that one of the most difficult pieces there is that when you do find someone who you really connect with personally, it can feel almost like you're insulting them yeah. by continuing through the rest <laughs> of the so process. True. Yeah, you're like, I love so, you, move on, like, right. we're done here. And but. so it, it can make you really feel bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that is an easy trick is just to say, man, I loved our first conversation. I think you could be a great fit for this role. It's our company policy to continue on with these next steps. So I don't want you to infer anything negative from the fact that we do have to move forward with reference calls Mm -hmm. uh, and then perhaps a work test and a a second round interview. Mm -hmm. So that's an easy way is just to say, this is our process that we have to, we, we don't make exceptions to, but be very encouraging to them and say, but I I really enjoyed our conversation and I'm very excited Mm -hmm. about speaking with you more. Yeah, two more things about this. I think one, you never just interview one person. You always have to interview multiple people. This is especially true when you're hiring for an expertise that you don't have. Because for instance, if you are a creative and you're hiring for somebody to develop your website, you might hear all the buzzwords and jargon and think, oh my gosh, this person, I, one, we gel. Two, they've got all these buzzwords. They know exactly what they're talking about. And you might be, okay, great. Let's get married. Let's, you know, let's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, you know, for all intents and purposes. Um, but the reality is if you are able to interview three or four more people, you might find that what the first person was talking about actually may not be accurate or may not be what you need. And you start to, because, you, you know, ostensibly you're looking for the right fit. And if you, you know, just give up after one interview or not give up, but accept, yes. you know, that first person. I think that has been so true for me when exactly to use your example, when mm-hmm. I've been looking for web developers and again, it's a skill set I don't have. Mm-hmm. And so you can talk to one or two people and they can, they really sound great. And again, yeah. you connect with them personally. And then as you go through more and more interviews, you realize, oh, wait, they actually exclusively use this platform. Now I'm learning that platform is outdated. Mm -hmm. And so I actually should be looking for someone who, you you know, whatever it is. Yeah, it's one of those situations where you really don't know what you don't know. And so you need to talk to a few people to triangulate around the right answer. So talk to us a little bit about how you feel about trial runs, like initial projects with a potential hire. Again, it depends on the position, but I think it's enormously helpful when appropriate for the position. If Mm -hmm. you're hiring for your small business or for your influencer business, let's say a social media coordinator, you should absolutely give them a work test where you say, here are 10 posts. I want you to create the social media strategy for each of these 10 posts. Mm -hmm. So how would you perhaps pin these images? What captions would you use? Yeah. How would you post these on Facebook? How would you share these on Instagram? Yeah. 
I think that that's totally fair. And especially for something like that, it can be so mm-hmm. important for You hiring... test them on MySpace too, just to... <laughs> yeah, for sure, MySpace. <laughs> yeah, Friendster. Um, yeah. <laughs> I actually never had a MySpace. So I just like nervously laugh when people make that joke because... Yeah. I mean, I know what MySpace is, but it predated me a little bit. Um, no, but I mean, for for a, another example, for administrative assistants or executive assistants, I have given them an example email chain. And I've said, if someone emailed you requesting X, Y, and Z or posing this problem to you, how would you respond? And that's been so illustrative in their communication skills, in their professionalism, and just in their experience and and comfort level in in dealing with things. Yeah. And I think if you do that across several people and you give them that work test, you're going to start to see real differences emerge, not only in their tone, in their personality, but also in their skill set and their ability to think on their feet. A lot of people can do a really good job of posing in interviews and having all the right answers, canned answers to all the standard questions they would expect. But thinking on their feet pushes a lot of people out of their comfort zone and can really define who you want to hire and who you don't. So true. So when, as an influencer, do you start thinking about bringing people onto your team, whether it's contractors, interns, full-time, like when do you start hiring people? It's such a difficult question to answer. There's really no cut and dry answer, in my opinion, because I think at the beginning, you have to really focus on finding your voice as an influencer. You know, when you're starting out as an influencer, yeah. you have to be scrappy. You have to find your voice. Your your platform may pivot um, and you're not making money yet. So mm-hmm. it's you can't really, you know influencers yeah. aren't aren't raising money you right. know they don't have investors <laughs> yeah. for the most part yeah. so you need to be scrappy in the beginning and really also learn how all aspects of the business work yeah because i think if you hire someone and they quit you need to be able to jump in and fill that hole mm-hmm. But you also need to be a competent leader of your business. It's tough to guide people if you don't even understand how to do it yourself. Now, of course, there are highly nuanced areas of the business, advanced video editing or sophisticated levels of coding that I'm not suggesting you spend time trying to learn so that you can literally do every single thing. But you did. Well, I, I wouldn't say I was definitely... <laughs> For those who don't know, no, Mary took on coding like, of her first website. But that's website, not unique. So. That's, every influencer does that. Yeah. You know, you have no, to learn basic know. levels of coding. Yeah. Um, thanks for thanks for try, trying to make me sound special, but I'm really not. <laughs> um, but I, I would say... All, you are special. Oh, thanks, honey. Um, <laughs> but all of the major areas of your business, you should fully understand at a basic level. So... If someone leaves tomorrow, you can either A, jump in and do it yourself, or B, you can quickly know how to find someone to fill that position. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The flip side, though, of being scrappy and bootstrapping and doing everything yourself, and I see this with influencers time and time again, and I was absolutely a perpetrator of this. (laughs) Yes, you were. Is that you convince yourself that you are the only person on the planet who can do all of these things that you do as well as you do, Mm -hmm. and you're not. Yeah. There are people out there who are exceptional photographers, videographers, <coughs> editors. <coughs> Rich, <laughs> Rich takes my photos. Yeah. Just he is little, my human listen, tripod. I'm just asking for a little bit of a shout out here. Yeah. Shout you out know. to Rich. Yeah. Uh, I, still don't, I, I still don't get paid enough, though. 
I mean, that's debatable. <laughs> there are people out there who are great yeah. photographers, great videographers, editors, writers, graphic designers, social media gurus, you know, administrative whizzes. It's nearly impossible to grow if you continue to try to do everything yourself. You have to have help if you want to grow. You have to be able to leverage your time. And as I've learned the hard way, you can't work 100 hours a week for the rest of your life. (laughs) Try as you might. Try as you might. And I have. It's just not sustainable. No, that's. I think that's completely right. I think that I tend to err on the side of hire earlier as opposed to later. I think what you said to start the answer to this question is incredibly important that you have to understand how every single aspect of your business works because in order to hire somebody for that piece of business, you got to know how it works. You got to know your brand. You got to know your voice and it's going to change. You know, people talk about, you know, having beta products, alpha products. When you're first starting your blog, it is in alpha, it's in beta and it's going to change and it's going to morph. And so you have to see it through that initial transformation and before you bring somebody else on, because if it's not clear in your own mind, it certainly won't be clear in theirs. But I would say that you are scrappy. If, you, if you're starting an influencer or a content creator business, you're scrappy in what you do, right? You're teaching yourself to code. You're doing every single thing that has to do with the business. So be scrappy in hiring too. Find an intern who's really excited about a certain piece of the business that you really could do without having to wake up every morning and do and bring them on, give them experience, give them power, let them grow and and they could give you incredible leverage. So be scrappy in your hiring as well. That's that's my perspective. And I think that one place to start sometimes is we all have areas of the business that we just don't, either just don't enjoy. Yeah. And we end up, oh, I didn't, <laughs> you know, I don't really love pinning. Yeah. And so some weeks I just don't do that. It's easy for those things you don't enjoy or for those things that you're just not great at. It's easy for those to fall by the wayside. So Mm -hmm. start there and find people who are good at those who are willing to do those things that you're not good at or you're you're just really not enjoying. It's amazing how much momentum you can lose by just not wanting to do something. And that inertia will keep you from rolling forward and posting as many times as you want or whatever the case may be. So just removing those roadblocks can just do wonders, not only for the actual content you produce, but also for your mindset. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think I've said the word absolutely at least 700 times <laughs> during this podcast. Yeah, so I find myself saying that. That's my new catchphrase. Well, I'm just, I'm always right, you know, so I mean, it's hard for you not to say that, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So last thing on kind of the topic of interviews, if you had to tell somebody the two most important things to think about throughout the interview process, what would they be? Mm. I, well, I would say, number one, always try to meet every hire in person. There are things that people have the ability to hide in phone interviews um, or over email. And in person, a lot of times I've found I've seen through mm-hmm. uh, just whether it's it's a little personality trait yeah. or or sort of mannerism that makes me realize, oh my gosh, I don't think this person is being honest with me. Yeah. That you don't pick up on the phone or over email. So I always try to meet everyone in person. Now, there are occasions where that's not possible. Mm -hmm. I've worked with graphic designers or videographers or whatever that 
are across the country and you're just not going to be able to meet them in person. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you're hired, hiring them for a very discreet role or right, discreet right. project. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you absolutely can't meet them in person, do a face-to-face Skype or Google Hangout. Yeah, um, That's really the second best thing. But always try to, to meet everyone in person. Mm-hmm. The second thing I would say, if I had to choose two, is never take shortcuts on the hiring process Mm -hmm. as we discussed earlier. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm definitely a big believer in the in-person face-to-face meeting before hiring because there's some things you just can't hide face-to-face that you can via email, via phone call. And despite the world getting more technologically savvy and people becoming, you know, hermits in terms of how they behave and where, you know, where they spend their time, I still think relationships are incredibly important. And the ability to judge somebody in person is going to go a long way because there are just fewer things that you can hide. And I agree. Don't shortcut the process because you will find yourself with, you know, an employee who doesn't quite fit. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's it for the interview portion. Uh, the interview portion of the interview. Oh. <laughs> I want to I go to our kind of final five questions that we ask. Uh, the influencers who are on the business, uh, the influencer business. Um, So if you weren't building memorandum.com and Trove, what would you be doing? I would, I would probably still be working in finance. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the obvious answer. Yeah, I'd likely be working for a private equity or venture capital firm at this Mm -hmm. point. Sure. Since that's my professional background. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's that's What if that wasn't your professional background? What would you be doing? I would go on the road as a one woman show. <laughs> that would work. That would work. <laughs> Playing a banjo. I don't know. I I really don't know. If you could start your business over from scratch, what's one thing you would do differently? You know, apropos to this conversation, I would have made some different hires. Yeah. Um Again, I'm giving all of this advice today because I've absolutely learned a lot of these lessons the hard way. I hired someone a couple years ago and I was so desperate and eager for the help that I glossed over uh, reference calls and was just, I was also too quick to overlook some red flags. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sure enough, it was really not a good fit. So, um, yeah, I I guess I would have made some different hires. I would have also hired much sooner. (laughs) Again, I was totally stuck in this, oh my gosh, but how am I ever going to find someone who can do it exactly the way I do it? Or who's going to learn exactly the way I like this aspect of the business to be run. Um, but I was wrong. (laughs) I was so wrong. (laughs) Hindsight's always 2020 though. And I'm sure many of our listeners will appreciate your advice now, take it to heart and not make the same mistakes. So what is your least favorite thing about running your own business? You know, I think a lot of influencers can relate to the difficulties of, you know, unlike a corporate job where you can go on vacation for a week and your colleague will cover everything for you. When you're the owner, the boss, the face of the company, there's really no way to completely unplug. Yeah. So it can be overwhelming to feel like you're absolutely always on. Yeah. As an influencer. People and- wouldn't take kindly to me taking over your Instagram and posting photos and and. You know, I don't think that would work so well. <laughs> as I don't great, have the same style. As great as you look in a midi skirt, Rich. <laughs> yeah. I just don't know if it would resonate. It doesn't, doesn't quite fit my <laughs> body type either. 
<laughs> yeah. So I think feeling like you're always on and, and generally it's just an enormous amount of work. I think it can be frustrating for influencers because perhaps your family, friends, and former colleagues don't really understand that what you do is a job. Oh, you just take pictures and put them up yeah, on the internet. Yeah, yeah, oh, totally, good for you. Yeah. totally. Uh, so, so that they, takes three minutes. What do you do the rest of your day? Yeah, exactly. I just <laughs> brunch and sip champagne. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that that can be a difficult thing. But you know, there there those are the minuses. There are obviously amazing perks and. Uh, an enormous amount of personal satisfaction that you get from running your own business. And mm-hmm. So what's been the single best investment you've made in your business, you know, obviously aside from your own time? Well, I would say, and I'm not just saying that because this is the subject of this of this podcast, <laughs> but hiring the people, you know, getting help, whether it's uh, an amazing executive assistant who keeps my life organized and manages my calendar and inbox uh, or the team who helps make sure the technical side of the site is always optimized and running smoothly. You have to look at the business and say, what is the highest and best use of my time? You know, the highest and best use of my time is not doing general organization or administrative tasks that really many other people could do. Um, I really need to, or, or for example, you know, the best use of my time is not teaching myself advanced HTML coding. I need to be creating content and staying focused on, on that and my audience. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. So final question, what's the best advice anyone's ever given to you? Oh my gosh. Um, the best advice is from my mother, quote, clean up your room, you slob, close quote. No, I'm just kidding. That's not the best advice. (laughs) More like a command that she still gives. (laughs) Yeah. No, I would say the best advice, the, you know, off the top of my head, the advice to work harder, excuse me, to work smarter, (laughs) not harder. Work work harder. No, no, no. To work smarter, not harder. And I think that that goes hand in hand with what we've talked about today, that you really have to find ways to leverage your time. You can't work around the clock seven days a week for the rest of your life. You've got to find ways to leverage your time. You've got to think about the best uses of your time and make sure that you find the right people to fill in the rest of the holes so that you can grow your business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Well, thank you for joining us on this episode (laughs) of Influencer Business. Thank you for having me. Just to quickly recap some of the stuff that we covered today. First of all, don't be scared of hiring. As we've seen from the last two interviews that we've done, it is the best investment. Uh, Mary and Camille, who was on last week, it's the best investment they've made. Two, make sure you pay attention to the small stuff. Spelling errors, tone, personality, things like that. You know, where there's smoke, there is fire. So pay attention to those things. Don't gloss over the process. Don't speed through the process. Don't just talk to one person. Make sure that you give the process it's due. Stick to it and you'll find the right people. As always, we cover this topic in a lot more detail on our website. So make sure to check out all of the content that we have on the interview process by going to www.trovebusiness.com. And if you have two seconds, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. We'd really appreciate it. As always, a big shout out to Pete Crimmy and the folks at Sound Lounge who always make us sound better over the podcast than we do in person. Uh, They're a wonderful group of folks. And if you ever have any sound needs, definitely reach out to them. Join us next week where we're going to be covering onboarding. It's an episode you don't want to miss because you should not be skipping onboarding in the hiring process. Thanks again. I'm your host, Rich Scudelari, and we'll see you next time.